Welcome to Patient Stories. My name is Dr. Bertrand Liang, and these are stories about some remarkable people whom I've met through the opportunity of being a physician. The Legacy of Our Genes Mr. R was 52 when I first met him. He had been scheduled for my clinic the day before, but had late canceled because he had missed his flight back from traveling and thus couldn't make the appointment. Usually when that happens, it can be hard for patients since, like most doctors, my schedule can be booked out for months. However, luckily, I had a cancellation the next day and I could fit the patient in. I was happy both then and in retrospect that I could see him. Mr. R was referred to me for what was termed a foot drop. He apparently had noticed a problem about a year ago when visiting colleges with his daughter and he noted that his right foot was slapping against the ground and it took effort to move in and out of the rental car because they had done quite a bit of walking, he felt it was just that he'd been tired that day and needed to stretch the leg before he'd feel better, presumably in the morning. However, the next day, he noted the same thing, as well as some mild discomfort, almost a cramping, but as the patient noted, not nearly as intense. After walking a bit more on campus with his daughter, the sensation was gone, and although his foot still seemed to stamp on the ground, he was able to control it stepping higher and softer so as not to bring attention to himself and avoid the sideward glances of his daughter. During the next couple of months, Mr. R went to different doctors to get the issue evaluated. Initially, his primary care doctor prescribed an orthosis so the patient wouldn't drag his foot, which the patient noted with sudden derision that it wasn't really effective. He also was sent to physical therapy who continued to suggest the boot but also some flexibility exercises. After this wasn't particularly helpful either, he went to podiatry, who had diagnosed the patient with plantar fasciitis and injected him several times with corticosteroids, which the patient noted hurt like heck, but really didn't relieve the foot drop. At that point, the patient noted that he just lived with it and tried to continue his daily routine of being a single parent, working as a warehouse supervisor, and just trying to support his two daughters in the myriad of their activities. However, the difficulty was that despite every attempt to ignore his foot drop, it was getting worse. Indeed, the fact was that Mr. R began noticing that it was no longer just his foot that was weak, but that he was having problems where he'd actually drag the foot and couldn't get his leg up high enough to avoid the scraping. This was much more prominent now than the slapping since he wasn't able to lift the leg up to avoid dragging that foot along the ground. As a result, he went back to his doctor, who tried to send him back to physical therapy, to which the patient refused. He was initially referred to orthopedic surgery, but after hearing the case, it was the service who suggested he go to neurology, which is how Mr. R ended up seeing me. Mr. R relayed all this all to me noting that he'd been on this course for over a year and was really glad to see me in order to get to the bottom of this. I told him I tried my best and we discussed his history and what his activity level was like. It was clear from the story that there was really no remission of his symptoms and the MRI scans of his brain, neck, and back had been unrevealing. While it didn't seem like this was the standard compression neuropathy or idiopathic that is otherwise undefined, foot drop. It also didn't seem to be the cause for something like MS either, 
although certainly presenting symptoms could vary. By the history, I was trying to localize the lesion, but so far I wasn't particularly closer. Okay, I said to Mr. R, continuing to think through what he told me. Tell me about your parents. Are they still alive? Well, replied Mr. R, they're both gone. Both my parents had heart disease, but my father died of ALS. My eyes perked up. Oh, when was that? Gosh, it must have been about 30 years ago, I think. But my brother died about five years ago of ALS. I needed to clarify what Mr. R had just noted to me. Mr. R, so your father and brother died of ALS, is that right? Yes, that's right. I was enrolled in a clinical study at the university about the time my brother was diagnosed. That was eight or ten years ago. They took a bunch of my blood, never heard anything else. I was momentarily struck by the pattern. What about your grandparents? Are they still alive? I asked, starting to draw a family history tree in my mind. No, my dad's parents were from Eastern Europe, and they died in the war. My mom's parents were from Israel, and they both died of heart attacks. And your wife? She died years ago of ovarian cancer, a few years after my second was born. Still thinking about the chances of spontaneous inherited autosomal dominant ALS, we started Mr. R's examination. It was, to say the least, grossly abnormal. He was spastic and weak in his right entire lower extremity, and his left leg was also weak, more near the foot and ankle than the thigh. His reflexes were pathologic in that they reacted multiple times to a single stimulus on both sides, but yet his sensation was entirely normal. His examination suggested involvement of a central nervous system of the neurons that control muscles called motor neurons. And there was a very limited number of things that could cause this without affecting other parts of the nervous system. I told Mr. R we needed to do a number of very specialized tests and that some of it was going to be genetic in nature given his family history. Doctor, he said, I'm only 52. This isn't ALS, is it? I have two daughters. It can't be, right? I thought a moment and noted to Mr. R that we had to get an evaluation to provide as much as we could a diagnosis. Once we had that, we could have further discussions about what might be done. Mr. R nodded and thanked me, to which I held up my hand. Let's work together to figure this out, and then we can see what we could do next, I said, knowing in my mind what I thought the leading diagnosis was and I was fervently hoping I was wrong. We did indeed do many tests and went down a couple of areas where the lab results showed slight abnormalities, but in the end, it was the genetic testing and the EMG NCV that were diagnostic. Mr. R's EMG showed diffuse denervation in both upper and lower extremities and the muscles around his spine there was no evidence of a peripheral nerve problem per se. It was limited to the motor areas of his examination. And the genetic test showed that Mr. R had a mutation in one of the genes that had recently been discovered to be associated with autosomal dominant form of ALS. So he had either acquired or inherited a form of ALS, potentially from his father's side, if the latter, 
since his mother's side of the family was fairly well-known and unaffected. Mr. R. had an inkling of what we were to talk about during his next clinic appointment with me, as he had heard the EMG was abnormal, and the genetic testing was as well. As we discussed his findings, he grew silent, but not somber, and after a few moments, wanted to know what we could do to help out his daughters, to find out more, and to understand better what their issues might be in the future. I could only think that Mr. R was being the dad that he was, first thinking of his children rather than himself. We set up visits to the genetic counselor service for the family at the university and also referred the patient to the specialist there who was doing clinical trials and ALS. I kept in contact with Mr. R for the next several months to ensure he was integrated with all of the appropriate services both at the university and the local support groups in the area. The last time I spoke with him, he noted to me that while this wasn't exactly what he had in mind when he first walked into my clinic, he was at least relieved there was a diagnosis and that planning could be done. According from an old textbook of medicine, I said to Mr. R that the most compassionate thing I could do for him was to provide him a diagnosis. Yes, doctor, said Mr. R with a bit of quivering voice for both me and my daughters. As I hung up the phone, I stared for a long time at my computer screen with Mr. R's information on it. As it went dark due to inactivity, I gathered my things to leave the office. I recall someone once noting that when you cross that threshold out of clinic or the hospital, you have to leave the baggage behind you. I know this rationally, but as I got into the parking lot, got into my car, sat there, I started to cry for Mr. R. I wiped my tears away, blew my nose, and drove out of the parking lot. Thank you very much for joining me for Patient Stories. Be happy, be healthy, and find peace.